0: Are you listening to this while on a breather from Breath of the Wild? You're such a nerd. Did watching Logan destroy you Emotionally, Shut up, you nerd! Can you not shut up about the app you're developing? Nerd alert! Nerd alert! If you can answer any of those questions, then this is the podcast for you. This is Northwest Nerd, a show for all things nerdy in the Pacific Northwest and beyond. My name is Nick Jarin. And I'm Dire Oxley. Every two weeks, we take you inside the world of Northwest Nerds. We talk a little pop culture, science, and technology. Today, we'll take you through some nerdy headlines, including a car named Cedric, a schwein sized garage sale down in Portland, how Google knows you're not a robot, and more. Then, Dyer will take you on a journey through time as he digs into the crazy history of the DeLorean, the car from Back to the Future, and we'll compare Portland and Seattle in a way that had not occurred to me until there was an app for that. All that coming up this episode, but first we also wanted to pause and thank everybody who came out to our cosplay contest and after party at the Ray Gun Lounge last Saturday. It was a huge hit, so much cool cosplay, the winners were amazing. It makes you feel bad a little bit, because they, everybody was
1: really, really good. The, the, the audience. Award one alone was that was tough.
0: That was tough. That was yeah. tough. It's part of the reason why we got judges, and you and I and didn't it's have. To part do of it the reason why we put it on the crowd because I didn't want that pressure. Yeah. And by the way, huge thank you to our judges, uh, Jerichanja and Abby Sue Cosplay, Ryan Wells, uh, who you will hear later on this episode, actually, and Corey Lewis, uh, local writer and uh, comic book creator.
1: Pacific Fabrics gave us some amazing gift cards. So did Outsider Comics and Geek Boutique. And And our
0: uh, coupon code, which you can still use.
1: Yes, at Pacific Fabrics. And then Tap Plastics uh, gave us over $100 worth of Warbla, um, which was extremely generous. So thank you very much uh, for them. Yeah, they really came through. And the Ray Gun Lounge for hosting the whole thing, so that was amazing.
0: Yeah, it's such an awesome space and seeing everybody get excited about the same arcade games and pinball games that I get excited about Yeah, uh, was really cool. We really packed that place out. Like, I didn't know it could be as crowded as it was that night. That was yeah. amazing. Alright, well, just wanted to thank you guys all for that again. Hope you had a good Emerald City Comic Con weekend. And if you didn't show up to our party, then definitely come to the next one. You um, missed out. Yeah, we'll let you know when we have another event like that coming up. But uh, just padding ourselves on the back here let's get to the news as promised let's kick off the news portion of our program with talking about that car named Cedric when Dyer told me about this I had no idea why a car would be named Cedric because Jarvis was taken (laughs) why don't you elaborate
1: a little bit Self-driving cars. I mean, that's kind of the name of the game now. Everybody's jumping on it from Google is actually experimenting on self-driving cars in Kirkland, Washington. And then in Nevada, I think they're actually experimenting with self-driving 18-wheelers to transport stuff. Mm -hmm. In VW's case, Volkswagen has debuted a car named Cedric, but no steering wheel. No pedals. It's literally just a pod that you get into and uh, sit in while it drives you around. There's no, oh gosh, something's gone wrong. I better grab the wheel. There is no wheel. This car is, let alone to itself, to drive you around.
0: Yeah, so it's a departure from the version of self-driving, which we have on the road right now, which is the ones you mentioned, along with Tesla's Autopilot, which they really encourage you to not think of as self-driving, but that's kind of what they're trying to do there. All of these other ones still have uh, a wheel and pedals and everything. Yeah. Cedric and, has none of that. In fact, it has wood floors inside. It looks like, and like a, it looks like a lounge. living
1: room. Yeah. yeah, it's like you know, it's kind of like you'd go there, get a White Russian, hang out. Yeah, maybe there's some kind of bearskin rug, put a bar, maybe a little wine yeah. fridge. For some reason my version of this car is getting a little intimate. Um, <laughs> it's it's funny For you mentioned rugs. Jay Inslee, Governor Jay Inslee of Washington recently took a test drive in a Tesla. That's a self driving car. They made a video of it and released it on Twitter, um, where he actually experiences it driving around Olympia. And so these cars are, are not only being experimented with, they're kind of marketing to our governments already, mm. trying to get certain regulations made. In particular, this is in line. I've said this, once, and I've say, I'll say it again. There's a guy named Tony Siba. He's a market disruption specialist. And this is exactly what he predicted. He brought it to Seattle last year. He said self-driving cars are taking over. And not only that, other technologies and markets are going to come into play. And we can,
0: we can tweet out that story Uh, When this episode comes out as well, because it's a fascinating story that he tells that is surprisingly prescient.
1: Oh, well, yeah. He basically said, you know, back in the day, you had horse and buggies. And then within like five years, max disruption, we had cars. Um, It just it was that quick. And when certain technologies happen, that's the case. In this case, we've got Lyft. You're going to be able to bring up your smartphone, press your app for whatever service you want. It comes and picks you up in a self-driving car, drops you off, never
0: parks. I think it's ridiculous how many cars just sit parking somewhere. Yeah. Well, think Um, about that. And part of the self-driving revolution will be the fact that you get to use the time that you're not using your car to use your car for other things. Like, you can loan it out to people. There could be an app that lets you loan out your self-driving car when you're not using it so that other people can schedule rides and maybe take it to a commute that doesn't line up with your commute. And in that way... You make money off of your car. Like, I'll, take of here. I'll take that a step further.
1: I'll take that a step further because this is another Tony Sieba thing. Car ownership is going to be obliterated, according to him. Because if you think about it, if you just want to pay for a service that allows you to take a $5 trip in your car uh, whenever you need to, does it make sense to get thousands of dollars for a lease for a car to pay you know, X amount of dollars for insurance every month to pay for the maintenance, to pay for the car tabs, which in the Seattle region right now is really screwing you over. And then, you know, all the other costs that are associated with it, and then $5 this trip, $5 that trip, $10 this trip. Which is the cheaper option? Which makes sense if you're living in a in a city environment? And so yeah, in and cities, I think people's car uh, consumption is going to go way down.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that caveat because living in a city is a huge part of this. Because if you don't live in the city, even a even a suburb where you can go to places that are where services are fairly close together in some kind of downtown core yeah. of a suburb, you still need a car to get to that hill or like into the woods where you live around here. That's yeah, just a reality of living in the Pacific Northwest. Probably, you need that kind of independence. Still probably or won't
1: it. happen in Forest Grove, Oregon. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's probably not gonna happen out in Ellensburg,
0: Paulsbo, uh, Clelem, Briar. But uh, oh, it'll happen in Paulsbo, Dudley, um, <laughs> Dudley. Other, I don't know. Tenino, Tenino. Oh, just shout out all the all Western Washington. Love all Tenino. I can name. All
1: the small towns. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there you go, Cedric. Is coming for you.
0: On that same note, Google is coming for you. Okay, they're not really, but I just wanted to get to. That I've always story. felt it's coming for me. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is, but that's not the story. Um, what Google's doing, uh, why they're in the news these past couple of weeks, is because they are inching closer and closer to getting rid of CAPTCHA, which is you know when you want to log into something or make a purchase, the website wants you to it's verify that you're a buffer. human. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they can do that a number of ways. The way that most people recognize when it's actually happening is clicking a little box that says, I am not a robot. Or it could be... Um, or I it could see it be, as
1: the numbers or like an address, which I can barely read.
0: Yeah, they show you a distorted photo of numbers or letters and make you type in what they are, leaning on that being a thing that only humans can do. Yeah, a robot couldn't look at that and read it. Yeah, a robot couldn't until... 2014, when Google accidentally uh, wrote an algorithm that would backdoor make CAPTCHA less effective by writing into Street View ways to read addresses on buildings and whatnot once they had the Google Street View. So up.
1: let me get this straight. Google made a security system that it then programmed itself around.
0: Kind of. Technically, it bought a security system (laughs) that it wanted to use in order to more quickly scan in books and stuff into a digital format. That's what they were using the original uh, CAPTCHA technology to do. And then along the way, working on some other projects, they wrote into obsolescence CAPTCHA as it existed when they bought it. So Mm. what they've done the past couple of years is revamp it with algorithms that can sense whether or not someone accessing a web page is acting like a human would act. And that could be in the way that you're moving your cursor, in the way that you're navigating the page. A bot would only do those things in certain ways because they're built on algorithms that'll get them through certain forms and things like that. Whereas if you're a human, you might be doing something like moving your cursor over a paragraph as you read it. So what they're doing now is taking capture to the next step and making it so that it can work in the background and know whether or not a human is there at all. So Google is
1: watching you. Yes. So it's watching your movements. For your benefit. Hopefully. Wow. Cue the cue the police. And this is such a kind crazy of,
0: piece of technology because, like you were saying, like they bought this thing uh, that was built for security. They broke it, and now they're building it even better. So that now, you, in in some cases, you will never even have to click that little box that says, I'm not a robot. The website will know already because it's running these things in the background. So it's assuring it to me
1: a little bit. It makes me feel better that nobody can break into my whatever website I go to and then buy stuff off my account. Thumbs up for that. Yeah, well, a bot can't.
0: If a human got your information, he could still conceivably do that. Yes.
1: The other flip side to that is kind of creepy that they're watching me. Quote, unquote,
0: watch it. There's no, like, eyeballs on what you're doing. Yeah, they're not,
1: like, watching, watching. But, I mean, somebody in a bunker somewhere is going to freak out about this and say that, you know, Google's watching.
0: It's benevolent surveillance.
1: If you monitor how people interact with their websites, the next, I I guarantee you, the annoying thing that's going to come down the road is how are we going to be able to advertise to you better? depending on how you're interacting with it. And I'm the guy that like hates ads and advertising, which is stupid because I'm in a business that relies on it. I was going to but... say,
0: I don't hate ads. In fact, if you want to sell ad space right here, yeah. hit us up.
1: But yeah, th- there is there is that little uneasiness of like where can that go? It's those things. It's like the classic technology is so new, and it, we keep getting more and more new technology, but then we have to take a step back and go, okay, where are the ethical things that Aristotle did not cover? Yeah, kind of, in the,
0: kind of in the way where people don't realize that they're paying for... For Facebook. Um, I think that this is a kind of a tough concept for people to wrap their head around sometimes, that you are Facebook's product while you're using it. The service that they provide is free, quote-unquote, because what you're providing to them is a bunch of information about who you are, where you live, your buying habits, the kinds of stuff that you're interested in or would read about or click on, and they turn around and use that information to sell ad space and boost posts and promote things on their website so that you will be exposed to advertisers, basically. This 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 is
1: a common misconception about multiple forms of media. I So let's just come from my newspaper world, right? Yeah. A lot of people think newspapers' product is the newspaper, whatever, the website that you're going to, because it's a service they're giving to you. That's not their product. You, the reader, are their product. They are basically getting as many of you as an audience that they can leverage to people to sell advertising. So Yeah, yeah it
0: just gets kind of fuzzy because product is also audience yeah. in a weird way. And when you deal with that relationship like that, it, it can get hard to wrap your head around that. But this is one cool way that Google is trying to help you while getting deeper into your information. <laughs> okay, let's move on to a story that I'm really excited to hear about because you actually talked to someone who participated in this. Yes. So my friend
1: Rose, who is a friend of the show, who was in the very first episode on the feature of Emerald City Comic Con, who was probably in your face at our party At the Ray Gun Lounge. Yeah, big uh, shout out and thank you to Rose. She lives down in Portland, and Grimm is a show being filmed in Portland no longer. Basically, I believe they filmed everything, most everything that they need for that show, and this is the last season. It's not yet done airing, but there will be no more. So... They basically had a giant garage sale of all the props. Everything they used in the show, it, it looked a lot like a estate sale or an antique sale, yeah. which fires me up. Side note, I love antiquing. Um probably one of the reasons why I'm single, but uh, it is, it looked like the most amazing antiquing, most amazing antiquing venture that you can do, because it was a giant warehouse. And I will just stop yakking about it and let Rose explain.
2: It was at a 44,000 square foot warehouse in northwest Portland. They had everything. Copy machines, signs, masks, latex masks, costumes. I mean, it was everything. I was fortunate enough to purchase the Spice cap. From Rosalie's spice shop.
1: So basically, when so. Rosalie turns around and says, "Oh yeah, th- this is the thing that you need that'll yeah. magically solve everything." I mean, that's the yeah. rack that she's pulling. From. Yes. What was the vibe at this uh, <laughs> event?
2: The line went around the block. It was huge. So were people like
1: about- Mad Max, Thunderdome, going <laughs> at it? Uh, yes. Really? Yeah,
2: they ran in. Some people were arguing. The first people that they let in was 250 people, and then they stopped the line. So those people stood out in the rain for a long time. I talked to a lot of people in line, and a lot of people had spent a good amount of time researching screenshots from the show. And so they had specific props that they were looking for. Some of the, the items did not have labels on them, but a lot of them did. They would say Grim set season two, Juliet's bedroom, you know, stuff like that.
1: Did they clear out that? warehouse today
2: oh no 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 no. there's still so much stuff a lot of the big ticket items were gone but other stuff tons of there's bicycles everything from every single episode they did
1: but in the end new spice rack
2: oh my god spice cabinet it's amazing that
0: is so cool and a piece of the the show that you actually see on screen
1: yeah and when i said today in there i meant saturday which the saturday before we released they had another sale on monday
0: okay hold on uh for the people who don't know Grimm, can you quickly explain what the show is?
1: Just like the Grimm fairy tales it goes off the darker origins of it, kind of German rooted and there's a Grimm, he's like the character that keeps all these monsters in the world in check and people don't know these monsters exist, they live among us, but they can, Volga they can turn into the basically the big bad wolf, they can turn into some insecty type creature But
0: usually they appear like normal humans
1: Usually they appear like normal humans, some of them are just normal people that want to be plumbers and and live their life and the other ones are killing people and those people Nick goes after because he's a grim and he slays them but it's you know it's kind of like the classic there's a Scooby gang kind of like in Buffy one of the things though is they have these historical books and the books have all the records of all the different types of Vessen monsters That he has to go up against. So if he sees something, he's like, well, what kind is that? He'll open up these little leather bound encyclopedias that other grim have written and he will look up what it is.
0: Yeah, his his grimness is hereditary. So he comes from a long line of monster hunters who pass on their knowledge via these books and all kinds of forms, pass on weapons that they can use specifically to fight different types of monsters. They're all medieval
1: looking and yeah. But the book that Rose found, this is interesting, because what they did was they kind of hid all the cool stuff around the warehouse. They didn't Ooh. put it anywhere obvious. So uh, Rose was looking at a bookshelf, and then she just kind of bent over and looked uh, kind of behind the bookshelf or whatever, and there was a little leather something like poking out, and she found the book. Other people were finding the books in like drawers or in couches Whoa. and things like that.
0: So they have like sketches of the Vesson no. in the book? Oh, okay. The
1: props, the actual props that they use are all blank pages. <laughs> there was like Wait, so.
0: Where do the drawings come from? So then?
1: there's there's like a couple books they actually would use that have drawings, or they would just put drawings in one of these books and you know use it as a prop as if it's a real full book. Yeah, those apparently were like too cool, and they they flew them down to LA, and um. somebody has them. But the actual prop books are basically now, I guess, you can use as a a diary or uh, really cool, whatever. But yeah, so she got one of the books. And there was other stuff that they, you know, were basically hiding around. But uh,
0: yeah, Grimm's an especially cool show to have this kind of thing happen for because they built, and by built, I mean mostly borrowed a lot of lore into this show. So there's a lot of really distinct props and sets and stuff that you can really identify with Grimm, the show.
1: And not to mention, if you just needed a new phone, yeah, or a bike, or whatever. Or you know, I need more
0: plaid shirts. If you could have anything from the show, what would it be? That show? Oh gosh, the mace? It might be some weird weapon like it's that. It's got to be a weird weapon, right? Honestly, although the I'd... books are really cool. Now you honestly know what I'd probably want from it? If tra- it's a roll of toilet paper, I'm going to be upset.
1: <laughs> did I tell that story? Here <laughs> yes, yet? you okay. did. Um, <laughs> no, the trailer. I'd probably want that trailer.
0: Oh man,
1: I would. I would do that. Of course, that's it, a really good unless pick. they really did burn it down.
0: Wow! Spoiler alert. Sorry. All right. Well, something we definitely can't spoil is the new Wonder Woman trailer that came out this week. Uh, We need to talk about this.
1: Yeah. Unless you haven't, you're slow to the get-go.
0: Unless you haven't heard of this character that's existed for nearly a century, you mean? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it, it debuted uh, the week before, the, a week ago, and uh, along with a few other very interesting trailers that we will get to here. But uh, what was what was your impression?
0: So this is two and a half minutes long, and some of the other trailers have shown Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, kind of interacting with people in a World War II setting, and her interacting with Chris Pine's character. Uh, that kind of is her way into a World War II story as a Wonder Woman origin story at the same time. This trailer backs it up and shows her on the island of Themyscira, which I really liked. I thought that it was really strong in the way that it was showing a real sense of place in the Themyscira scenes, and I'm just getting increasingly hyped for this movie. Like, I'm really excited for what they're going to do. I don't love the slow-mo in all of the action, which yeah. is a recurring thing in these trailers, but I think that what I saw in this clip was fantastic, and, and we'll tweet this out as well in case you haven't seen it. So I'm going to be Debbie Down- yeah, let's do it. Because
1: I like the trailer. The trailer was great. I also liked the Man of Steel trailer because that was also a great trailer. And it also had the whole origin stories. Clark is a kid, you get Diana as a kid in this one. And it's it was very, very similar. They were using like music, but the trailer was better than uh, I'm not gonna say better than the film. I like the film just fine, but all the cool background, emotional, actual character stuff was more in the trailer than it was in the film. And then most of the film was, you know, the director missing the point. And so I'm hoping that Wonder Woman doesn't suffer from the same thing. That basically what the trailer gave us, that's all they're gonna give us of that type of feel. And then when we go see the movie, it's gonna be, you know, two and a half, three hours of just clash, bang, boom, and and nothing else.
0: Yeah. I mean, the movie seems to be setting itself up as broken up into three parts. Part one, Wonder Woman becomes really powerful, grows up on Themyscira, and is trained really well to become the warrior that she is, just a world-class fighter and person. Um, Part two is when Chris Pine somehow shows up on Themyscira in the middle of World War II, and she realizes that she needs to explore the rest of the outside world and then finds a way off the island, also taking some key artifacts with her that will empower her on her quest. Uh, Very very Joseph Campbell in that way. Yeah. Part three, she's now part of World War II, and has to do some things to help stem the tide of Nazism or whatever. World right? War One. Oh, it's believe. World War One. Here's the thing. Why that, are you been letting me say two this whole time? Uh, here's the <laughs> thing about it
1: though. I'll, well, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought yeah. it was. I'm pretty sure it was World War One. It might be. Which is why I kind of liked it because as Americans, we really love World War Two way too much. Way too much. We boast about it. I have so many friends who are like, <laughs> Yeah, we totally kicked Germany's ass. in World War Two. No, no, you didn't.
0: The Russians Your did a lot of work. Your
1: grandfather probably did. You did. Did a lot of the Russians, did a lot, you know. But it was like, (laughs) we really love still saying that, and we still love, you know, likening everything to Nazis that we can. So, bringing in World War One, you know, which was the first great war, the war to end all wars is this is really perverse to say. It's reassuring, we're going back to World War One instead (laughs) of that World War Two. But
0: no, I kind of get what you're saying in that you can draw the philosophical lines differently if you're using World War One as your backdrop, because World War One was really one of the First, large-scale wars based on national lines and nation-state pride. And what's wonderful about Wonder Woman, didn't mean to say wonderful and Wonder Woman in the same sentence, but- No, she's a wonderful wonderful. Wonder Woman. Uh, what's, What's great about that character is that she becomes an ambassador to the world for unity and breaking down these artificial barriers that keep us apart. Uh, At least in the comics, she she becomes that kind of thing. So I wonder how much of that they'll explore in this movie where it's almost a repudiation of nationalistic pride in a way where she leaves her home country Mm -hmm. to help other people promote peace. You know what I mean? I think that that could actually be really strong thematically and even stronger if you don't have Nazis in the way and it becomes just a good versus evil thing. So I kind of like the World War one thing I didn't even know it till 30 seconds ago but I love it now uh, with
1: Wonder Woman I'm wondering who the big bad's gonna be yeah and, and I mean if it's Ares, that's obvious why are they keeping it a secret um, if it's something else you know who knows not the only trailer that came out um, the other big talk uh, of the recent news cycle was Game of Thrones.
2: I know what my father was, what he did. I know the Mad King earned his name.
3: Burn them all! I'll kill every Targaryen I get
2: my hands on. Everyone who isn't us is an enemy. Sir it! bring me his head. We are Ironborn. We take what is ours. The Last
0: America.
2: I
4: don't think I'll let you marry that beast, do you? I now proclaim Cersei of the House Lannister,
2: protector of the Seven Kingdoms. Lannister, Targaryen, Baratheon, Stark, Tyrell. They all just spokes on a wheel. This one's on top, then that one's on top, and on and on it spins Crushing those on the ground.
0: Alright, so the entire time that all of this voiceover work yeah. is happening, I apologize for... Laughing at the plight of Catelyn Stark. <laughs> but it's just, it seems so context free when you're just listening to it. And then all of a sudden, there's just this wailing that I, uh, it cracked me up a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, while all of that's happening, you see kind of the house crests crumbling into ash. And then at the end, you see that all of this is happening within the dark black pupil of the Ice King. The, the, the thing is that's
1: interesting because it, it really it's, it's, it's a trailer but it's really more of a teaser there are no scenes from the uh, actual upcoming shows it's a graphic
0: yeah and there's yeah. really not any new audio either yeah so what's interesting about this is that they're kind of teasing what we all knew was supposed to happen at some point in Game of Thrones anyway which is that the Ice King needs to fight the dragons right like that's this yeah. most explicitly teases that possibility more than any other thing that's happened in Game of Thrones yet
1: well there's another message in this. And, this, and this is not revolutionary. This is not going to, you know, change the game at all. It seems like what they've set up is, you know, all the humans and, and so forth are just kind of nitpicking with themselves and playing the game of Thrones. And uh, meanwhile, the big bad is mounting their attack.
0: He's not playing a game.
1: You know, he's not playing a game. And so all these people that are are basically screwing with each other now uh, are going to have to join together somehow, make alliances, because there's a worse threat than themselves. They don't say it explicitly, but I think they're trying to hint at that, especially if you look at the graphic with all of them kind of weaving together.
0: And narratively, it's a really interesting theme to explore because this is something that we see a little bit in Watchmen as well, where if Doomsday were really coming then could the human race put aside our differences and work together to stop it from happening in a way? No. You know what I mean? And the answer might be no. We'll see yeah. what George R.R. R. Martin thinks the answer is, and we'll see what the show creators think the answer is. But the answer might be no. We're getting closer and closer to that, and that's what excites me about this.
1: Uh, the first episode of Game of Thrones comes out in July, which is when I will re-up my HBO Go account.
0: Prudent. Prudent,
1: and uh, yeah, and then I'll, we'll see where they take it from there.
0: All right, one more funny story, and then we'll move on to your uh, your deep dive of the week, which I'm very excited for on DeLoreans. I learned quite a bit listening to it before the episode. You know how in regular sports, they have a World Cup, and each country gets a team, and you get to send teams to the World Cup based on what region you come out of and stuff yeah. like that. So, like A North American team like the USA has to play in a North American tournament before they make it into the World Cup. Right? Yeah. There's a similar setup for the Dota 2 World Championships. And what one American team decided they would do is try to physically move themselves so that they could get through an easier bracket and qualify in a different region. So what this American team called Prestige Worldwide, heavy eye roll, good name, did was move themselves to Southeast Asia so that they could play in that regional tournament instead and try to qualify. So they tried to hack the rules of the tournament, basically, to try to get deeper into it than they would normally if they were competing against All-Americans. Or so their thinking went, because <laughs> this little bending of the rules went absolutely horribly for them. They played in the Southeast Asia tournament and went 0 for 9. They got So whacked. they lost. They lost every single match
1: So, okay, two points. One, okay, so if you're not into eSports, here's the piece of the puzzle you need to understand about Dota 2. These eSports teams are heavily funded. They uh, make a lot of money. And the prizes for these are millions of dollars,
0: multi-million dollar, prize multi-million
1: million dollar industry just on this video game, which is interesting because not really uh, reported much. I mean, if if a uh, basketball tournament had million dollars going on at the end, you'd probably hear about it, you know. And these video games, these players are getting millions of dollars off his, which happened at the Key Arena, I think, within the last two years or so. They had one of these giant tournaments. Yeah, I can't
0: remember was... which one visited, but it was a big one and it was it a million dollar prize.
1: Do you know why? What is the logic they have what slow internet or something in, in it? we have fiber wire we'll beat them like what what's their thought process
3: Their here?
0: thought process was it'll be easier for us to get through if we go play those teams and stay in the bracket that we're in right now. They were obviously flatly wrong in their analysis for it being easier for them to get through the other division. And like I said,
1: it's funded. It takes a lot of money to do this stuff. They spent a lot of money to relocate. Some bean counter is losing their job.
0: All right, well, that's all I really wanted to say on that because I wanted to point a finger and laugh at uh, Prestige Worldwide because that's hilarious. Coming up next, we're going to get into your deep dive on the history of DeLoreans, why they're so beloved, why there's so few of them, and why so many of the so few are still on the road today. In the Northwest.
1: You know the Brickland s v one, that sports car with gullwing doors, it was made by a then new car company but only produced a few thousand back in the 70s, before it went out of business? No, not ringing a bell? Well, how about this car? The DeLorean d m c now, car aficionados probably know about the Bricklin, or any other car company that didn't get too far, but it could be said that DeLorean shares much of the same story, a small company that went bust. Both were sports cars with gullwing doors and opened from the bottom up, but DeLorean, unlike so many other car companies that faded into a footnote in history, stands apart and remains iconic. But why? What makes DeLorean so special? Well, it could be this... Uh- Wait a
3: minute, Doc, uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? The way I see it, if you're gonna build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style?
1: There are a few moments in pop culture history where something other than an actor becomes an essential character in a story. The Enterprise in Star Trek is a good example, or the TARDIS in Doctor Who, or the city of New York in just about any rom-com. And it's hard to imagine any of the Back to the Future films without an essential figure, the DeLorean DMC-12. Perhaps it's ironic that as a car, its history has multiple timelines, from its founder to pop culture phenomenon
4: and the cult of DeLorean owners that are still driving today. Being a DeLorean owner was almost kind of a life-changing event because it's like, anytime I go out in that thing, you get people taking pictures of people stopping and, I still get little kids that come up and are like, "Oh my God, it's the it's the time machine, it's a DeLorean." Sean Knight is the president of the Pacific Northwest
1: DeLorean Club, and for proof of his point, look no further than Portland's Ryan Wells.
3: I actually uh, am old enough to have seen the first film in theaters. Uh, I was a little kid.
1: Ryan is known widely for his work in the cosplay scene. If you haven't yet, look it up. It's extremely impressive, and you're welcome in advance. But before cosplay. Was even on his radar, he was putting his crafty skills into a lifelong dream.
3: My favorite moment in the trilogy is when the car pulls out of the back of Doc's van in the parking lot. I I walked out of the theater and uh, I I had to have that car.
1: He wanted to convert a DMC-12 into the time machine. Sort of putting the cart before the horse, or I guess in this case, the flux capacitor before the DeLorean, Ryan got to work crafting all the car props from the film with the idea that it would eventually go into a DeLorean.
3: And I'm just like, I'm just going to build all the props that go inside the car. And one day, if I get a DeLorean, I'll dress up the inside to look like the time machine. And it'll look normal from the outside, but I'll have my fun on the inside. So I built all the uh, components that go inside the car. I did it just like they did in the movies where it was completely static. And they didn't have LEDs back then. And so they had hot lamps.
1: Some time goes by. And Ryan had been in contact with a crowd of other DeLorean time machine prop builders. And they put him in contact with a DMC-12 owner looking to make the time machine conversion. A deal was made, and Ryan's parts were installed into a DeLorean from Montana. It's referred to as the Wells and Yellowstone time machine. And today, it's hitting 88 miles per hour, on the road. Ryan partners with the Montana owner and they tour conventions and other events around the Northwest, and it's been upgraded. There are sound effects from the movie in the car.
3: Great Scott! I still get goosebumps every time I see that car, especially in driving the car, I still pop in the soundtrack and go over the speed limit, and it turns me back into a kid again.
1: And he's not alone. It's usually the same for anybody who sees the Wells Yellowstone time machine.
3: I love sharing it. Uh, I love when I go to conventions with a car and the kids under the teenage uh, age know about this and they're just as excited as I was. And there's lots of people that don't know about the fact that this was a real car um, that just didn't have all this junk stapled to it. They thought that's how the car came. Does it drive on the road? Yeah, it's got an engine. It actually drives and people are so stuck on. The idea that this is a movie car that it never surfaced in real life.
4: Yeah, it's actually a real car. And it has a rather unique history, too. They're great cars. They're fun to own. Uh, they actually ride really well. And uh, like my car, I would get in it and I'd do a 500-mile trip, no problem. They're really comfortable.
1: So again, Sean Knight is the president of the Pacific Northwest DeLorean Club. The club was founded in 1982 when the company was still in business. Today, there's generally about 100 members. Though they estimate that there's about 170 DeLoreans driving around the Northwest. Club members, they go to car. Shops, and other events. They drive in parades and all in all have a good time.
4: The guys who founded it, actually, a few of them are still members. The one who was instrumental in founding it, he bought his DeLorean actually at a dealership brand new. He bought it in fall 1982. The very next day, was the day John DeLorean got arrested for drug trafficking. He said, I'm lucky I bought it then because the prices on them skyrocketed after
1: that. So as Sean just hinted, there is a rather interesting backstory to the DeLorean as a car. And it starts with John DeLorean, where the car got its name. John DeLorean was an engineer turned auto industry executive back in the 50s and 60s. He rose through the ranks at General Motors to become one of the most respected executives in the auto industry. His fingerprints are on a range of 1960s rides from the Pontiac Firebird to the Grand Prix.
4: The thing he was most uh, noted for there was the creation of the Pontiac GTO. That was a popular car. Very, very popular car, yes. That was his idea. He was one of GM's youngest executives ever. In fact, at one point they thought he was probably going to eventually uh, rise and become president of the company. DeLorean was not your average corporate executive. He was in the papers a lot. He dated movie stars. He was he was out there. And so as opposed to, you know, the, you look at, you know, it's kind of like the conservative guy in like, you know, a blue, you know, suit or something like that. John DeLorean was not that way at all. And so he clashed with some of the other upper management there that wanted him to kind of tone it down a little bit for whatever reason. He was a rock star. Executive. He was kind of, Yes, that's a great term for it. Rock star of the automobile manufacturing world. As the 60s came to a close, DeLorean
1: left GM. He went to start his own company. And that's when he had an idea for a sports car, engineered like no other.
3: Looks like an airplane. It
1: had stainless steel panels and fiberglass underneath, so rust would not be an issue. The only problem was he didn't have any money to do it or a factory or Workers. It would take him about eight years to get the investors and the company put together. By 1978, the DeLorean Motor Company was revving up. To do all of this, DeLorean had to search the entire globe to find a deal for this factory. He was
4: a small company after all, and he needed a cheap operation or at least some kind of incentive. The British government eventually approached him uh, to build the factory in Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland in the 70s was essentially a civil war battleground
1: between Catholics and Protestants. There were bombings, shootings, and it's not really a place that first comes to mind when you're thinking of starting a new factory.
4: There was a lot of civil unrest there. Unemployment in Belfast where the factory was built was like 30% at the time. And the British government figured, hey, if we can get uh, a factory put up and DeLorean promised like 2,500 jobs or something like that. And they said, if people are working and are, you know, have a steady income coming in, then they're not gonna be out on the streets, you know, um, blowing each other up. They gave him really a very nice deal where they essentially built the factory for him.
3: Since you're new here, uh, I'm gonna cut you a break.
4: that's how the car came to be built in Belfast. And a lot of people were like, well, how's that going to go having Catholics and Protestants work in one location? And it wasn't a problem at all. Uh, Everyone was very enthusiastic about their work, wanted to prove that something like this could work there. Despite the fact that the workers were very enthusiastic, they didn't have any experience with building a car. So some of the first ones that came over had some teething issues. Some magazines wrote some not so glowing reviews about them.
3: Nobody can start this car but me.
4: There were some initial electrical problems too. There's even
1: an old story about Johnny Carson who was an early investor in the company who got stuck in traffic after his brand new DeLorean quit on him in the middle of the road. It's pretty bad
4: press but despite all that it was a highly anticipated car. There was a waiting list just to buy one. People like to try to point to one thing that caused the company to fail and there really isn't one thing out there it was just kind of a perfect storm but really the thing that did the men the most not too long after they started importing the cars and selling them in the US the US hit a recession. People, they said, weren't buying anything. They weren't buying you know, family or so-called practical cars. So if they're not buying practical cars, they're not going to buy a $25,000 sports car. And uh, the company essentially ran out of money. The government that gave him all the money to start up, they got voted out in a new government. Margaret Thatcher's government got voted in. And she wasn't as enthusiastic about the project. Rather than pumping more money into it, they just kind of said, well, that's it. So let me get this straight. You, You said Margaret Thatcher? Yes. So you're saying the one Prime of the
1: Minister. DeLorean's issues was Margaret Thatcher. Yes. Stainless steel, taken down by the Iron Lady. DeLorean's first DMC-12 came off the line in 1981. It produced them for about three years. It's estimated that somewhere between eight and 9,000 were ever produced, and that today, around 6,000 remain on the road. But that's far from the end of DeLorean's story. As his company was running out of gas, DeLorean was looking to make a quick buck, and he was pretty desperate. That's when a
4: friend took him aside with an idea. This man turned out to be an informant for the FBI. John DeLorean, if you asked him, he claimed that he did not know that drugs would eventually be involved. He would have financed these drug smugglers to smuggle drugs into the country. He would have made you know, a profit off of it and then used that money and invested it back in the company. He claims he never actually gave them any money, and the FBI said, no, we never got any money from him either. He met with these so-called investors in fall of 1982 at a hotel by the Los Angeles airport, and then at that point, the FBI came into the room and arrested him. Later. The FBI actually admitted that they never told John DeLorean that there was going to be cocaine in that room. Interesting fact. Uh, It
1: turns out when the FBI and its informant approach you, set up a drug deal, and put you
4: in the middle of it, that's actually not legal. I've gotten asked this question many times. Oh, is DeLorean still in jail? He never actually served any jail time. He was acquitted on all the charges because the jury found that what essentially had happened is the government had entrapped him. But
1: by that time, the damage was done. DeLorean's name had been tarnished. Not even stainless steel could withstand the damage. The last DMC-12 was made in Ireland in 1983. But a new story was about to begin. In 1985, the very first generation of Back to the Future fans were born. It couldn't have been a better film to usher it into legendary status. Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd starred and it had an amazing soundtrack.
0: You like Huey Lewis on the news?
1: As if powered by nuclear fusion, the DeLorean quickly became an icon, and it was the beginning of an obsession for a young Ryan Wells who was watching the film for the first time in the theater. It would later lead him randomly into the world of cosplay.
3: I went to my very first Comic-Con because Christopher Lloyd was going, and I wanted him to sign one of the pieces of my car. Uh, I heard about these conventions, and I was told that you're supposed to dress up and I went as Silent Bob.
1: The piece that Ryan chose to bring for Christopher Lloyd to sign was a part of the speedometer that he had put together for the time machine.
3: The actual DeLorean, they only go up to 85, so they have to put an insert to look at like it goes up to 95, so they can hit that 88 number.
1: So it wasn't just Ryan's first experience with cosplay at this convention. He also had an experience common to so many convention goers When they meet their celebrity hero.
3: He goes, oh, you want me to sign your phone? And I said, no, this is not a phone. I said, this is the top of your speedometer. Like, you built this car. You should know this. Like, I lost my mind and couldn't separate Christopher Lloyd from Doc Brown. I was an adult and that talking to this actor as his character, he was very nonchalant, And and looking back, I'm kind of disappointed on how he responded. He could have played along. He could have (laughs) been acknowledging the fact that I was a a total nut about it, as well as a really big fan to it off i actually have gotten the tattoo of the schematic of the flux capacitor that he draws on the piece of paper and i roll up my sleeve and i said i got this tattoo because you fell off the toilet and when i came to i had a revelation a vision a picture in my head a picture of this this is what makes time travel possible the flux capacitor it was another huh okay well next kind of thing. And I I was in shock and I was like, oh my god, Christopher Lloyd, and he just signed my thing. And I got up to the side and I'm sitting there taking a picture of his signature and people are wanting to take a picture of me because I was in cosplay. And uh, I was in tears and I was happy and I was like, I I need a moment. I can't take pictures right now because I just had the biggest moment of my life.
1: All right, let's set our time circuits for 1995 when a mechanic took DeLorean into the future.
3: There were
4: thousands and thousands of parts left for DeLoreans. They were kind of squirreled away into a warehouse. In the mid-90s, there was a mechanic who lived down in Houston, Texas. This guy bought that entire stock of parts and established a new DeLorean motor company out of Houston, Texas.
1: This new DeLorean motor company expanded and put branches throughout the U.S., including a location in Bellevue, Washington. They offer parts and service to all DeLoreans, and they'll help hook you up with a car if you want to buy one. It's where Sean was able to find his.
4: In fact, uh, the DeLorean Motor Company down in Houston has DeLorean crate engines that have never been used. In 2017, you can get a brand new DeLorean engine. Yes, essentially. A a brand new 35-year-old DeLorean engine. (laughs) (laughs) Never used. Never used. That's right. That's right.
1: Back to the Future certainly catapulted the car into legendary status, but fans were starting clubs before 1985. Fans that are keeping them on the road 35 years later, making it stand out far apart from so many other cars like it that faded away. There just really is something special. About the DeLorean. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Biff. Was there something you wanted to add?
3: Why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? It's
0: Well, that's going to be stuck in my head for the rest of the day, so right? thanks for that. But I wanted to talk some more about this feature because I did not know a ton of this crazy stuff about A, right? John DeLorean, the yeah. DeLoreans at all. See how much of an impact uh, civil unrest in Ireland had on <laughs> the making of a time machine.
1: Like, how much can go wrong at, like, one time for this one guy who had
0: everything going for him? Yeah, it this? is a comedy of errors when you start putting it all together. Yeah. Because I think their reputation is that, and I'm I'm not a car guy at all, but the yeah. reputation to me for DeLorean was always that, oh, yeah, it was a piece of crap. That's why nobody bought them and they only existed for three years. Horribly run. They broke down all the time. That's why they weren't there. That's only part of the story. Oh, yeah. There was also cocaine. So can you, can you break that down for us a little bit more? John DeLorean gets involved
1: in a sting? His neighbor, who was an FBI informant, heard that he's having money problems. And this guy, as an FBI informant, is code for was involved in the crime industry of some kind yep. and is being let off now because he's helping the FBI. He approached, and this is all came down in court later, he approached John DeLorean, said, hey, I've got an idea to, for you to make some money. You'll invest in this operation. You'll take the profits, put it back into your car company and keep it afloat. Float until you can get things rolling again. That operation just happened to be funding bringing cocaine into the country. None of it was real because it was all the FBI. Turns out none of that is at all legal, and uh, they entrapped him. So he he never yeah. They basically uh, went to created
0: a crime and then told him to do it.
1: Yeah. So personal story time.
0: Yes, oh yes, please.
1: Okay, so I loved this movie growing up. I had friends that loved this movie. Back to the Future. Uh, back to the Future. Um, And so, but we didn't have a DeLorean. What we did have is my friend Bill's Dodge Charger. This is in high school. Most high school kids have like a cool-ish car and it's kind of crappy inside. We used to skit out in this thing and do things in this car we probably shouldn't have done so Bill, my friend Jason, and I decided we we're going to make our own little version of Back to the Future with this Dodge Charger. It was mainly Bill's idea. They had a camera. It was called Back to a Week Before Thursday. We had a little toaster that was our flux capacitor, and, and when we wanted to go back in time, we we hit the button on the toaster down. I had a Volkswagen van again, so I was the, you know, crazy people that chased, you know, them with a rocket. And so <laughs> we did this. Bill was the doc, Jason was Marty, and we skidded out and all this stuff. So when we came to the scene where the car got to go back in time you know and how do we how do we recreate that fire scene right and so we we had all these ideas of alright well we use WD-40 or, or maybe we just get some hairspray and, and just kind of have the camera follow behind light and hairspray on fire nothing would work so we go out to Jason's house outside of Olympia Washington I'm sure the statute of limitations is over by now <laughs> and he lives out in the sticks kind of like a cul-de-sac but not really and we basically couldn't get a fire thing to work until Jason goes Goes, you know what? Pretty sure my dad has some gasoline. So he went out mm. and got some gasoline. And then we spent the rest of the night pouring little things thin lines of gasoline and then lighting them and it worked beautifully. You know, the gasoline went up really quick. Another angle, lighted again, another angle, light, and we did this all, you know, and then it got dark and what could go wrong? Yeah. We got bored and all that. So I'm not an expert on asphalt, concrete, road materials, any of that. I've been sorely misled. Apparently what we did was we burned the tar out of the road <laughs> into tiny canyons in the street and left like a little thing of rubble that went down to the ground. Are you serious? Yeah. So
0: there's just like two streaks of- just rubble then. In yeah. In the pavement that you were that lighting Basically,
1: on yeah. So the homeowner association caught wind of this, knocked on Jason's house door or whatever his dad like, answered the door. And I think he knew we were up to something but didn't really know. Uh, like the next day and they're like, so did you have some heavy equipment out here? Or you know, maybe have like a bonfire of some kind or <laughs> something like that. Jason's dad was like the cool dad. So he basically told them, I don't know what you're talking about. Get off my lawn. And then <laughs> yeah. shut the door on them. And uh, we never heard from it again. But that as, as how uh, we basically destroyed a piece, of, <laughs> a piece of the road,
0: and then the thing after that For The is, sake of the film. How did, did the film turn out though? That's the thing. Is after
1: we were playing with the fire, I think like uh, our just you know inspiration was just like, well, that was fun.
0: That was the climax. Let's you guys were like, I don't need to finish this. Up. You
1: want to go watch a movie?
0: You know how Seattle and Portland have kind of a older sibling, younger sibling relationship. One of the cities maybe acknowledges that more than the other one. There's some weird quirks that each of these two gems up in the Pacific Northwest have. And now there's an app for really drawing those lines a little more clearly on what each of us does differently.
1: Yes. So, in my uh, love of quizzing you, I have basically got an update on some dating apps. Previously, around Valentine's Day, I quizzed you on some dating apps. Which states use the most apps? One app. Farmers that... only. Farmers only. <laughs> a, couple, a few weeks ago, my friend Miranda, who lives in Chicago, sends me a text like, "I found a dating app. You need to use it." Which, when all your friends get into couples, they it's kind of like your parents start embarrassing you in public and saying, "Well, she's cute," and all your friends start sending you dating
0: apps. So, <clears throat> I'm sorry about that.
1: It's it's okay, man.
0: Don't worry about it. I'm just saying coffee meets bagel. <laughs> you did say that. Coffee you meets bagel. You did tell me that. Um,
1: <laughs> so so the hater app basically is like any of the other apps. You swipe left, you swipe right, but it has another function in it, and it rates how many things you hate, and then it will line you up with people that also hate that stuff. Love this idea. So, you know, you're, the enemy of my enemy is my lover, you know, is basically <laughs> how it works. The hater app, this thing started in 2016, says, well, what have have we found out? And it got some interesting information about Seattle and Portland. Sorry, Vancouver, BC. Some reason they didn't get uh, the information for that. We've really let them, left them out on the, uh, on the dating app scene. But uh, I have a list of like 19 things that each city hates (laughs) the most more than others Okay I'm not gonna ask you all of them. What I am gonna ask you is uh, 12 total. There's six from each city. I'm just gonna I'm gonna name something that one of these cities hates the most and you tell me whether it's Portland or Seattle that hates it more that hates it the most. Okay because none of these uh, the stuff that's on Seattle's list is not on Portland's list. Ooh.
0: And uh reminder for everybody listening to the pod right now, play along and then play tweet along. us your scores. Tweet us, Facebook. Because I love to compare afterwards. <laughs> yes. So
1: we're gonna start this off. Who hates it more? Seattle or
0: Portland? Being poor. Being poor. I'm gonna say Seattle hates that more. You are correct. Because it's more expensive to be here.
1: Yes. Seattle hates being poor more than Portland.
0: Number two, clapping when an airplane lands. <laughs> Oh man, this is tough. I live in Seattle and I don't hate this. It's just a funny thing that happens during flights to me. So I think I'm gonna go Portland. We were looking for Seattle. Yeah. Let me mark you down. I should have guessed Seattle one. mostly because there's more aerospace up here. Uh normal. This one's Portland.
1: Yes, that is correct. Keep Portland a... weird. Yeah. Um artificial sweeteners. Portland. Yeah, these are too easy, I guess.
0: Passive aggressiveness. Ooh, see, this one could go to either one. Um, I kind of feel like Seattleites embrace their passive aggressiveness. Though we're a little bit proud of how much we will be nice to people's faces and then just Seattle just freeze tear them apart afterward. Yeah, the Seattle freeze. So I want to say that Portland hates passive aggressiveness more. Apparently, passive-aggressiveness is so passe
1: in Seattle because Seattle hates passive-aggressiveness the most.
0: You know what? I totally overthought that one. The most passive-aggressive thing to do would be to tell your app that you hate passive-aggressiveness. We will move on to Christmas oh. music. Portland. Damn,
1: you're really nailing the Portland stereotypes on this one. I don't know what, how I feel about that. <laughs> Axe
0: Body Spray. Oh, this could be either one. I'm going to say Seattle because there's probably more of it here.
1: Portland. Aha, you don't know it so well. Um <laughs> You miss one I'm having yet. like my Portland you pride one come when up the there. Trash <laughs> <talk>. <laughs> Uh people who start an Instagram for their baby.
0: Oh man. Which
1: is so annoying.
0: Oh man. I mean, before I answer, which is worse though? Someone who starts an Instagram for their baby or someone who starts an Instagram for their puppy?
1: Baby. Well, I'm a dog person. That's mainly why. All right, I'll look at puppies all day. Cat then. I'll take a cat over a baby.
0: Wow. I'm really not
1: um, like a good person. You're so really not
0: philanthropic at all?
1: I, I'm not. I like the babies when they can kind of walk and talk, and they know that I'm-
0: So when they're no longer babies. When they're
1: aware that I'm chiding them, and yeah. just kind of generally mocking, pushing them down. All
0: right. I'm going to say Seattle for this one, because I think that there's more of it happening here, so there, there would be generated more hate for it. You are correct. Ooh, Being sick. What? Who hates being sick more? <sighs> Portland? Uh man, which one of these have you done more? Because being being sick is so vague. Like who no one likes being sick. Well, Everybody hates hate. One
1: it. of these cities hates being sick more than the other.
0: I'm gonna go Seattle. It was Portland. <sighs> Unsolicited advice. <laughs> uh Portland. Seattle. Dang it. I'm getting worse. I'm getting worse at this. <laughs> people who always cancel plans. Seattle. That one's definitely Seattle. That is Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. Yep.
1: Um, all people right. cancel a lot of plans. Last one, no pressure.
0: By the way, sorry to my friends who I canceled plans on this week. It actually happened. That I'm one very, hit personal. I'm that very Seattle. Home. Yeah.
1: When Google Maps interrupts the music. Um, Turn right on 65th. Yeah,
0: I think people need Google Maps more in Seattle than they do in Portland. So I'm going to say Seattle on that one. Portland.
1: So you actually. That's you, such a
0: quaint complaint to have.
1: Yeah. Here's the thing that I thought was so you got six out of 12. I got six. You got 50 50. That's not bad. You did. Yeah. I mean,
0: that's pretty much what if we did it randomly. That's yeah. the score I would average out having. So it's not great, but it's also not horrible. No. You're
1: between Seattle and Portland. <laughs> you're Chehalis. Oh, here's the thing that I was reading about this is that I'm one of the people who remember Almost Live which was the iconic Seattle sketch comedy show that used to play it before Saturday Night Live it was our Saturday Night Live it was yeah. jokes that we got.
0: Joel McHale was on there. Joel McHale
1: was on that. Bill, Bill Nye, Nye got his start on it. John Keister you're my hero so please don't sue me for what I'm about to do <laughs> um, but they had a great this is the thing Hater it, it, this is kind of like redoing what we uh, did in Seattle back in the 90s and, and early 2000s which was the lame list and so i took the stuff that i did not quiz you on from seattle and uh again john keister i love you don't sue me
4: and now the lame list or what's weak this week brought to you by seattle's heavy metal community
3: lame
1: bad parking jobs
3: lame now, <laughs> in lameness.
1: picking up dog poop lame <laughs> Taylor Swift as an artist. Lame, 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 <laughs> When the DJ plays your favorite song for only 15
0: seconds.
3: Lame, lame, excusable.
0: Oh man, that's awesome. Wait, who was the DJ? 15 seconds. One was that Seattle or Portland? Oh, these were all Seattle. Oh, those are all kept Seattle. In Seattle.
1: Which is funny though. I I want to say on Portland's list, they both hate the most normal. And normal people, two yeah. separate characters. <laughs> yeah,
0: sure. we we'll just keep on... Uh, Portland David hates David.
1: Sarah Palin and wet band-aids.
0: Lame. <laughs> thank you again to Ryan Wells, Sean Knight, John Keister, uh, who inspired a young Dyer through the 90s, Rose Romanek, and a big thank you again to all the people who came to the party last Saturday. We're an independent podcast that launched just back in September, so it was just amazing to see the turnout and get to talk to some of you listeners you know who you are and you are awesome all of you please help us continue to build on what we've done so far by spreading the word and getting your friends and family to listen to the show and subscribe you can find us on itunes stitcher soundcloud google play anywhere you listen to podcasts basically including our website nw-nerd.com if you have any comments on anything we talked about this episode Leave us a message on any of our social media pages or on our website. You can find us on Facebook at NWNerd and on Twitter and Instagram as NW underscore nerd. We also post a bunch of stuff on there that doesn't make it into the podcast. So if you like what you hear here, go give us a like and a follow. We got tons more content over there. Coming up next episode, we're going to have a discussion about Ghost in the Shell starring Scarlett Johansson that's going to hit theaters later this month. You know we're going to have a lot to say. So if you haven't already... Go check out episode five where we talk about diversity and representation, especially in, uh, in, in TV and film. I think that listening to that episode is going to help kind of as a preface to the discussion that we're going to have next week. Um, if you don't have time to listen to it, you'll still be fine. We'll try to make it as inclusive as we possibly can as that conversation can be. Next episode, we are going to specifically focus on Ghost in the Shell for our uh, discussion section. As always, feel free to drop us a line if there's something nerdy we haven't talked about yet that you want us to cover. We're always happy to get your ideas and even happier when they turn into something really awesome, which some of them already are. Leave us a review on iTunes if you have a minute. It really does just take a couple minutes and the reviews help us out a ton. And with that, we'll see you in two weeks, nerds.
1: The enemy of my enemy is my lover,
0: you know, is basically
1: (laughs) how it works.